As Philip mentioned, my name is Mike, I'm one of the curates here, and uh, a welcome to our Swedish visitors and to anybody else who's new here this morning. Can I ask you to uh, open up your Bibles as you've closed them to page 1088, uh, to John chapter 19. Uh, beginning at verse 16 and uh, these are going to be the background to some of the, the things I'm going to speak about uh, this morning our words today are that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified died and buried he descended to the dead so some of you may know that before I started on the path to become a Church of England vicar, I used to work for a tear fund out in Darfur, Sudan. And every Friday, we would gather with a small group of Christians from various other aid agencies, and we'd have a time of worship and Bible study together. Well, one Friday near Christmas 2008, we were all singing songs of praises to God. When in the distance, I could hear the sound of fighting starting up. I knew that the sound of bombing, uh, bombs being dropped and heavy gunfire meant that yet another village was being terrorised by the government's proxy militia, the Janjaweed. And 50 kilometres away, we were totally powerless to do anything about it. So here I was, praising God whilst at the same time men were being killed, women were being abused, and children were being violently forced to flee their homes. Well, this contradiction crushed me inside, and I couldn't help but stop and cry. I began to question how the God who I worshipped could allow such terrible suffering to happen to the helpless. I found myself feeling angry with God. How could the God who allegedly loves us so much he was willing to send his son Jesus for our sake allow this to happen? I became numb and I could no longer deal with the idea of an intimate God who wanted a personal relationship with me. So over the next few months my coping mechanism was to conceive of God as an aloof being who deserves my respect because he's all-powerful. But the God of Jesus, I simply didn't want to know. Well, how might today's words from the Apostles' Creed, Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, he descended to the dead, have helped me to draw closer to God in faith, in the situation I was in, rather than take a step back and withdraw. Well, you may remember that last week, Philip spoke of the necessity of words being backed up by actions, and also of the idea of God with us, our Emmanuel. So when we look at today's words in the Apostles' Creed, it tells us two extremely important things about God. Firstly, it reveals that God is with us in our suffering. And secondly, it reveals that God is with us in death. So beginning with God is with us in suffering, I want us to notice that the Apostles' Creed shows us that Jesus really suffered. It's interesting that apart from Mary, the only other person outside of the Godhead mentioned in the Apostles' Creed is Pontius Pilate. 
This locates Jesus' suffering in a definite period of human history and under a particular world power, namely the Romans. It's humbling to think that the God who became flesh and moved into the neighbourhood submitted himself to worldly authorities. This means that the story of Jesus is not just a fairy tale that we've constructed to make ourselves feel better when we're hurting. Jesus really existed in history. A fact which is attested to by all serious historians. And Jesus really suffered physically. Before Jesus was led away to be crucified, he was struck in the face during questioning at the high priest's court. He was forced to wear a crown of thorns under the watch of Pilate. And then during the crucifixion, Jesus endured the most terrible pain. Death through crucifixion comes on slowly and agonisingly. As the body runs out of energy, it needs to heave itself up on the nails that go through the hands and the feet. The first century BC Roman philosopher and statesman Marcus Tullius Cicero described crucifixion the most cruel and disgusting penalty. But Jesus not only suffered physically, he also suffered emotionally. The very people he came to save rejected his message. Judas Iscariot, a member of his inner circle of closest disciples, betrayed him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when the crowd came to arrest Jesus, most of his friends deserted him, leaving him abandoned. And then Peter, Jesus' closest friend, who spoke passionately about remaining loyal to Jesus, ended up denying him three times. This was before he was even stripped naked and mocked and cursed on the cross. So Jesus knew what it was to experience real suffering. But we also really suffer too. Sometimes we suffer because of a a deliberate decision we've made, such as a decision to follow Christ. And this might mean that we take a particular stand for our faith, so we're ridiculed by our friends or our work colleagues or even in the press. And for some, like the young girls in Nigeria, it means we risk our lives. But at other times, the suffering we experience is common to all men and women. And it happens through seemingly no deliberate choice or conscious decision we've made ourselves. Physically, some of us are weaker than others. It means it's harder for us to get around. Emotionally, some of us are more prone to depression or feeling of, feelings of negative thoughts, which can have debilitating effects and mean we even struggle to get out of bed. The important point to make is that suffering we feel is real. It cannot be denied and each of us will experience it in our own unique way. So what might be just a bit of an irritant for one person can be devastating for another depending on the circumstances we find ourselves in or our stage of life. To give just a a trivial example, unfortunately I've entered that phase of life where when I go for runs, um, if I run too vigorously, I risk pulling my hamstring. Now if this was to happen, uh, now to me, I'd, I'd be upset because the summer's here and I love running in the countryside. 
but my suffering would pass when I got better. However, if I was Stephen Gerrard, the captain of the English football team, if I were to pull my hamstring now, the consequences would feel much more serious if it meant I couldn't go to the World Cup in Brazil. I'd likely be much more upset. Well, now I want us to scale this up further. It's perfectly understandable how people going through hard times and suffering sometimes end up pointing their finger at God. Asking questions about God's love and goodness in the face of their pain. Suffering makes us feel abandoned by God. Surely somebody has to take the blame for our misfortune. And as we pause for a moment to think about the Old Testament story of Job, as Job's suffering gets worse, the more his friends uh, accuse him of sinning before God, their support consists of lecturing him with their so-called wisdom and advice rather than simply lending him a listening ear. So Job becomes increasingly more isolated and all he really wants is an audience with God. Job wants to put the God of the universe in the dark to account for the way he's running the world. Job can't understand why God's making him suffer in this way when he's seemingly done nothing to deserve it. So how does the New Testament resolve this tension? Well, the Christian response to the question of suffering doesn't provide a complete answer. But I believe in the Apostles' Creed, we do find a sufficient answer that is capable of sustaining our faith. The Christian can have confidence that because Jesus suffered, we are not alone in our suffering. Through Jesus the Son, God is with us in our suffering. The God we worship is not an aloof God who doesn't know what it feels like to suffer anguish and pain. Jesus, our shepherd, was willing to also step down and become the sacrificial lamb. And therefore, Jesus knows what it is to go through the trials with him. Uh, he knows that when we communicate with him, in a sense we are communicating as with an equal with one who understands the burdens of this world. Of course, unless we've had the chance to really process what it means to have a relationship with God who suffered in this way, then of course we're more likely to distance ourselves from him when injustice or suffering does come along, just like I did in Darfur. But over time, I came to see that because Jesus was willing to enter into the suffering of this world, then I realised that God has eternity to make good on his promises. And his purposes are far bigger than I could ever conceive. So we've seen that God is with us in our suffering. Well, the second thing to say is that God is with us in death. Jesus really died. It's odd that the Apostles' Creed, which is a statement of the Christian faith, should focus so much on the ignominy of its leader's death. 
The Apostles' Creed is clear. Jesus was crucified, dead and buried, and he descended to the dead. This certainly doesn't sound like the best marketing strategy for a faith movement you're trying to build. A few weeks ago, uh, the youth minister, John White, and I, we went uh, for a curry just to chat with each other and to get to know each other better. And as we went to the curry house, we saw the sign on the wall, and it said, Closed. But it was clear that it wasn't. There was things going on inside. And so we, stepped, we, we knocked on the door, went in, and had the most delicious curry. But it wasn't the best way to market yourself. <laughs> well, the Apostles Paul describes the circumstances of Jesus' death as a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. So why does the Apostles' Creed, in a sense, put a close sign on the door with so much emphasis on the fact that Jesus died? Well, the death of Jesus has many important implications, some of which will be revealed in the forthcoming weeks. But for now, we're just going to focus on the fact that Jesus died. And not just that he died, that he remained dead and buried for two days. Well, in John's Gospel, we see all the evidence points to the reality of Jesus' death. In chapter 19, verses 31 to 34, we see that the Jewish leaders don't want the bodies of Jesus and the other two people crucified either side of him left on the crosses for the special Sabbath the next day. So they asked Pilate to have uh, their legs broken in order to accelerate the suffocation so that bodies can be taken down. However... When the soldiers get to Jesus, they see that he's already dead. But in order to be certain, they pierce his side just underneath his heart. And it brings out a sudden flow of blood and water. Now whilst the Roman soldiers might not have known the medical reasons why uh, clot and serum separate when a person dies, they certainly knew that this meant that Jesus was dead. After all, the Romans were soldiers who were trained to kill people. They knew what a dead person looked like. But Jesus' friends also experienced the reality of his death. We talk a lot about uh, what Jesus' death achieved for us. But can you imagine what it must have felt like for Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus? as they wrap Jesus' body in strips of linen mixed with spices and aloes in order to bury him. They would have experienced emotions of grief and confusion. Grief at the terrible loss of a friend and confusion at how the last week had panned out. As they watched Jesus' journey from the heights of being proclaimed as the people's long-awaited Messiah to the disappointment of Jesus' lifeless corpse before them now, their hopes of what must, could have been must have also passed away. Well, in some ways, we can also relate to their situation because we too also experience death today. Unfortunately, no matter how much our society tries to hide from it, one day death will meet us all. Last Wednesday, in a Times article, a woman called Alice Thompson wrote that, unlike our Victorian ancestors, we seem curiously reluctant to talk about death or end-of-life plans. 
four-fifths of people never broach the subject, and a half of all couples don't share their end-of-life wishes with those whom they most care for. Our deaths are something that we don't naturally want to embrace. But can I really encourage you to discuss your end-of-life wishes with those who you care for? Tell them that you love them and how you feel. Because even in the short time I've been a curate here, I've seen the real difference it makes in making a traumatic situation less complicated when the time does come. Because many of us here know how it feels to be the one who's left behind. The pain and uncertainty following the death of a loved one. And I know that some of us may be feeling the rawness of this pain right now. It's no wonder that the loss of a companion makes us feel lonely, isolated and all at sea. In the past, we had recognised rituals to help us deal with grief. So it was more obvious, such as an open coffin in the living room, the wearing of black clothes and the drawing of the curtains. But now things seem far more uncertain. We're expected to cover over our grief and recover much quicker from our grief, which denies us the gradual healing that comes through the process that God has given us. So just as with suffering, and perhaps also uh, more also with death, it can leave us feeling let down by God and abandoned by him. Particularly when so many of our hopes and dreams were tied up with the person for whom we're grieving. So I want to acknowledge to you here this morning that I don't speak with the voice of one who's lost a parent, a partner or a best friend. I want to heed the warning of C.S. Lewis in his book, A Grief Observed, where he reflects on the, on the death of his wife. He says, talk to me about the truth of religion and I'll listen gladly. Talk to me about the duty of religion and I'll listen submissively. But don't come to me talking about the consolations of religion or I shall suspect that you don't understand. So I offer my final point in humility of not having experienced the real bereavement that some of you have felt here. Yet I still remain hopeful that because Jesus died, our grief can take us into a deeper journey with God. Our own experience of grief at the loss of a loved one can help us to understand God's story more. We'll be able to grasp some of the abandonment Jesus must have felt when he died and was separated from his father, when he echoed the opening words of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we experience something like the dark night of the soul, of God's absence, we'll be able to relate just a little bit more to what happened to Jesus on the cross and the price he bore for our sake. 
and will know more about what it means to mature in a faith that goes beyond the polite platitudes of a warm spiritual experience. We'll be able to trust God enough to say, not my will but yours, when life is desperately hard. You see, there's a danger of assuming that the darkness of Easter Saturday before the resurrection, when Jesus lay dead in the tomb, is the place where God is least present, the place where he's not. But actually, if we think about it carefully, it's the place where he's most powerfully there. If we allow God into our deepest times of grief, then we'll likely sense a deeper sense of solidarity and intimacy with those God especially cares for. The lonely, the destitute, the unseen and the unloved of this world who daily walk around with hidden sorrow. Our own experience of grief can enable us to sit alongside others in the silence of uncertainty without the need to defend God's cause or try and make everything better. We can simply just be present with them there. A few weeks ago I went to the Holy Trinity Brompton Leadership Conference and to Rick, who, Rick Warren who wrote The Purpose Driven Life along with his wife Kay was speaking about the grief that they experienced following the suicide of their son Matthew the previous year. They told us how the statistics for couples staying together following the death of a child in such circumstances is not good. So every day they decide to make a conscious decision to enter into each other's grief. They spoke about how you can't get round your own personal grief. It's not something you can tunnel under or climb over. You simply have to go through it at your own pace. And you can't expect the other person to go through it in the same way that you are. This meant meant for them that it was okay for one of them to laugh while the other was crying. It was okay for one of them to wake up feeling lacklustre while the other had lots of energy. And it was okay for one to want lots of company whilst the other simply wanted to be alone with their own thoughts. And Kay Warren was pleading with everyone present to take the words at least out of their vocabulary. Sometimes when people weren't ready to enter into her grief, they'd skate over it by saying things like, at least you've got other children, or at least you've still got each other. In an effort to move the conversation on too soon, people became so insensitive that it made her want to scream. Well, in all this pain and tragedy that both Rick and Kay Warren felt, they were audacious enough to describe their grief as a gift from God that, through their own experience of it, was enabling them to be a better witness to others of the presence of God to those in similar situations. With tears, they closed by saying that the thing that has been hardest in their life the thing that has hurt them the most will now become their ministry because God uses our weaknesses to heal the world. 
And so as I seek to conclude my message, I hope that we've seen through the Apostles' Creed that suffering and death is not the place where God is absent. Because there's no point us being here today if God is not with us in the most desolate of places. The test of whether God is really for us and not against us is whether he's with us in our darkest journeys. So I hope you've seen from today's words in the Apostles' Creed that during our experiences of suffering and death, we can be fully intimate with the God, Emmanuel, who is with us in his Son, Jesus Christ. Because God has actively demonstrated his love and he has fully met us there. So we're deliberately finishing off today in a place of contemplation so as not to skip over life's dark journeys that each of us might still be processing and going through right now. So I want to ask you as we go through the rest of the time together this morning, are you willing to draw close to God, to be intimate with him, to let him heal some of your despair? Amen.